Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Healthnetics. Do you have nagging aches and pains from your younger, more athletic days? Healthnetics CBD is a premium brand CBD that may help take care of aches and pains, as well as relieve anxiety and sleeplessness. Healthnetics products are all natural, THC-free, made in the USA, and undergo third-party lab testing to ensure quality and purity. All CBD is not the same. Order today with a money-back guarantee at healthnetics.com and use promo code SPORTS for 20% off. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Kyle, if that's true, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. Better than this, guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. I'm Joe Marino of NDT Scouting and FanRag Sports. I'm joined by Kyle Krabs, who's the founder and director of scouting with NDT Scouting, also with FanRag Sports. Together, we are your hosts here on this podcast, a Wednesday edition of the show. We've got uh, some fun topics to get into, looking at some of these trades that uh, went down over the last couple of days in the NFL that'll certainly have some implications on the rest of the season and the NFL draft, as well as uh, unpacking this first edition of the college football playoff rankings where, you know, the NDT scouting staff has been at work on these rankings since before the season started with our weekly edition. And so it'll be interesting to kind of talk with Kyle about how those stack up against their own personal uh, beliefs. We know that those are always polarizing and, uh, uh, there's a lot to get into, but before we do, Kyle, welcome aboard. Happy Hump Day. How we doing? Happy Hump Day, brother. Um, yeah, happy Halloween. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, we talked about this in the the pre-show, Joe. Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask you. Are are you a festive Halloween guy, or are you uh, more like me? 
I'm very much a, a Grinch when it comes to Halloween. Hey, I'm total Grinch on Halloween. Um, I never trick or treated, not one time as a kid. Wasn't allowed to. Parents weren't uh, weren't for that. And uh, I dressed up for the first time for Halloween maybe three years ago. And I was uh, Jim from the office as a three hole punch. And uh, that's it. That's like the whole history of me and Halloween. Not really my thing. Uh, Halloween, Halloween movies are corny. Tried to watch a few with the girlfriend. I mean, I'm just like uh, not entertained at all. You know, I'm watching Freddy Cougar and, and Michael Myers, and these guys are like in realistic situations where they should die and they don't. It just loses me. I can't. It doesn't hold my interest. It's just not interesting. So between um, you know, kind of it being a afterthought as a kid, I'm. I guess I'm just not there mentally, and and so I don't enjoy the movies. The people are weird dressed up everywhere uh, i hope kids don't come to my house as as uh to for candy as a matter of fact we go somewhere else and i'm kind of like in in a in a little uh, cul-de-sac type thing where all i have to do is sit there and eat hot dogs and chili everyone else deals with the trick-or-treaters so there you have it i think maybe that was more than you bargained for but i i am with you kyle i'm a grinch that's uh i think that the most disappointing thing anybody could hear out of that is you've only dressed up for halloween once yeah, one time. That's and, it. and you wasted it on The Office. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't think, um, I don't think, if it wasn't for some influence of some friends, I don't think I would have even dressed up. So it's not like, uh, uh, you know, I take full responsibility for taking the time to put together the, the costume and all that. I just, it was easy. You know, you literally cut out three black circles, tape them to a, a white shirt and you checked your Halloween costume box. All right. I, um, my highlight was probably one of my undergrad years at Penn state. I dressed up as uh, macho man, Randy Savage. Macho man. Oh yeah. And we got the, the, <laughs> the wig and the beard. And I got one of the old school, the sunglass t-shirts that he had. And, uh, ran around state college in, in wrestling tights and a, t-shirt two sizes too small back before the spare tire grew out and uh yeah i actually passed i was i was on one of the main streets there at state college and i passed another macho man randy savage from across the street and we just yelled oh yeah at each other for about two minutes as we continued walking in opposite directions that that's probably my peak halloween experience but when it, it comes to adult life no i'm out yeah I need to, yeah, what's, so what's, take us there, paint the picture, Halloween 2017, Kyle grabs house, what's going on, what's this look like? Okay, the, uh, the lights on the front porch are off, (laughs) there's a bowl of whatever spare candy's been lying around the house for however long that, you know, I've managed to hide from myself, so I didn't pick at it, I throw it out on the porch with a note, and it's get something and get the hell off my lawn. You know, it's <laughs> like old man yells at cloud style. I'm not having it. Oh, oh anybody man. Go on my porch. L- listen, my dog, you know, you understand this fully. Yes. What happens when the doorbell goes off? No, I can't. I got three dogs and it's not, it's not a realistic situation for me to hand out candy. No, no, because the dogs, they lose their minds. You're up, you're down, you sit down, the doorbell rings, you got to get back up and go to the door and it's some little kid with a big grin on his face, and you gotta pander to him and pretend like his outfit's actually something impressive or you're interested in, and then you turn around, you sit back down, 
Two minutes later, the doorbell rings all over again. The dog's barking again. It's it's the whole night's chaos, and it's it's no. That's why the, the porch light is always off on my on my house. All right. Well, I, I we are not always Grinches. I'm a big like Thanksgiving, Christmas, oh, yeah. all yeah, everything yeah. else. I'm there for it. If if the holiday has some actual meaning, I'm I'm all about it. But uh, Halloween, uh, no. <laughs> So can we get it out of the way, my my victory speech? Yes, congratulations. Thank congratulations. you, thank you. It was a tight race. Uh, nearly a 1,000 votes separated by just under 40. Uh, but, you know, hey, win is a win. It was stacked against me. You know, I didn't get that first pick, and I accept responsibility for that. I didn't I didn't win the, the pick challenge to get the first pick. But, you know, to overcome not getting the first pick and not having Reese's, but stacking up quality candy after quality candy – while you went there and built the Weight Watchers approved Halloween bag with Swedish fish, Kit Kat, and and and, and talked up the wafer lightness of it, uh, you know I think that was a recipe for loss. Look, you went out there and got Miles Garrett, but I went out there and got the next four player, best players in the draft, and uh, really happy about this victory. Extend my win streak to two, and like you said last week, the rubber match, and uh, really happy to come out on top. Are you done? Yeah, I'm good. I'm okay, good. let's move on. <laughs> NFL draft, Kyle, is that coming up? How yes. many days? Yeah, we got 175 days until the 2018 NFL draft. And 175 also happens to be the number of touchdowns from scrimmage for Emmett Smith. That think about that number. Emmett played in 15 seasons, 2010 Hall of Fame inductee had 4,409 carries for 18,355 yards, 164 rushing touchdowns, 11 receiving touchdowns, 175 touchdowns in 15 seasons. That's a lot of production, Go. That is hashtag production. It's the most production, the most rushing yards in the history of the NFL. That, that is accurate. That is a, a, your first good take since <laughs> your monologue accepting your victory. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, so Emmett Smith, ton of respect for the career he had. He's got Super Bowls. He's got production, uh, but he doesn't have any dominant traits. Um, I think that Emmett Smith is more a product of staying healthy and, and being able to play almost 16 games every season for a long time on an offense that featured arguably the greatest offensive line in history. And he did a hell of a job of being average behind them. And, uh, I, I just don't think when I, you know, I think about Emmett Smith, I don't have like this overwhelming memories of just dynamic football plays where you think, Oh my God, Emmett Smith is so special. But at the same time, he went out and ripped off season after season after season of, you know, 1400 yards over and over again. And I have a lot of respect for his longevity and production, but I'm not sure he's, there's anything special about him as a football player. Is that, well, uh, that's crazy, right? I mean, well, I guess to, Joe, put it this way. What's a player's best ability is availability. That's damn right. Okay. So that, that right there, durability can, yeah. that can be an elite trait. It is. And that's what it was for him. But I mean, like really it's, it's Barry Sanders, Walter Payton. I mean, not that I've watched Walter Payton play live, but you can see, you can go back and watch, tape and film and highlights and stuff. I'm like, wow, this guy's got special traits. I just don't get that feel for Emmett. 
Well, maybe it's because he beat the Bills twice in the Super Bowl. I don't know, but yeah, it's, you're probably just bitter. You know, you yeah. may have two consecutive wins in head-to-head competition against Kyle Krabs, but you do not have a win in the Super Bowl, my friend. Uh, I don't, just like you, my friend. <laughs> uh, I'll say this about Emmett. Um, 226 games played. Listen to these uh, rushing attempt totals throughout the course of his career. 241, 365, 373, 283, 368, 377, 327, 261, 319, 329, 294, 261, 254. And that's before that's 12 years before his first year in Arizona where he got 90 attempts and then his final season he had 267. So, you do the math, that's 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 years of over 300 carries. Joe, do you know how far back you have to go starting last year to get how many rushers had over 300 carries years, man. Ezekiel Elliott was the only one last year with 322. The year before that, it was Adrian Peterson with 327. So in two years, you have two. In 2014, you had DeMarco Murray with almost 400 and LaShawn McCoy uh-huh. with 312. So now you've got four in three years. You got LaShawn again with 314 and Marshawn Lynch in 2013. So now you're up to six. You have to go all the way back to 2012 to present to get the amount of rushers in that time span that tallied the number of 300-plus yard seasons that Emmett Smith has throughout his entire career. He's a horse, man. Absolutely a horse. And that byproduct is hashtag production. So, Kyle. It was uh, an eventful trade deadline, and that's uh, one way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) Both of our teams were represented in in some of these moves, and and so we want to take some time here on the show to give some analysis on these trades and and give some of our personal thoughts. And um, I guess I'll start. (laughs) Please start. Start with Darius to Jacksonville for me, please. Yeah, so you know Marcel Darius. I mean blue chip prospect, top five pick for third overall. I mean, he's 340 pounds and runs a five flat 40 and as powerful as can be. I mean, he's, he's got all the traits and he's had some really special moments on the field and he's not a guy that gets rooted out of gaps and he's had some production as a a pass rusher, but you know, it seems like over the last two, three seasons, yeah, it's, it's been, it's, he, it's not been good. Uh, I didn't like him as a nose tackle in Rex Ryan's system, and it hasn't transcended to transition to anything positive back into a 4-3 under Sean McDermott. And when you look at this Buffalo philosophy of just impeccable football character people that are just team-first guys that, uh, you know, they, they're branding themselves as a group of misfits that just have enough talent to put their chin above the bar, uh, but to work their asses off to be prepared and and play together as a team, you know, Marcel Darius doesn't fit that, that model, just like you saw with some of the other players that Buffalo has parted with uh, so far under Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. Uh, You know, look, a six round pick is not, not anything compared to the, the type of player that Marcel Darius can be. But when you look at 
Darius, and he's had some off the field issues, and he's had a tough upbringing, and he's he's lost everybody. Like literally in the last several years, he's lost everybody, and uh, you know it's not been easy for him, and it's led to some some funny business off the field and some drug stuff, and you know uh, smashing his car against the telephone pole, and you know then this preseason he he didn't uh, show up on time for a game. I mean, just kind of stuff that's just frustrating because it's it's affecting him it's affecting his his ability to help the team he's had some suspensions and you hope that for Marcel that this turns out to be a really good fresh start in Jacksonville where he's back with a familiar head coach and Doug Marone who he enjoyed some good seasons with but for for this Buffalo team you know it was it was something where they had to move on even Kyle Williams a, a stalwart on the team for years and years said look you know a fresh start for Marcel is probably the best thing yeah it's it's a loss of talent for Buffalo but he didn't fit this locker room and um i certainly wish the best for marcel because i think there's some personal stuff that he needs to uh get ironed out yeah joe just to extrapolate on like the struggles of of darius the last couple years under jim schwartz in 2014 he hit 10 sacks in 28 games since he tallied six and a half yeah he was credited with 33 percent of the snaps in buffalo so far this season so not even really getting on the field um I think if I look from the Jaguars' perspective, this is a low-risk investment. It can be a short-term investment because after 2018, they can cut him with no cap hit, no dead cap. Uh, Obviously, in the meantime, it's going to be a high-dollar investment because his cap hit for uh, 2018's over $10 million. So uh, I, I think the fit in Jacksonville for Darius is pretty exciting when you look around and it's... Uh, Malik Jackson and Yannick Ngakwe and Dante Fowler and Calais Campbell. Um, that can be a really fearsome group of defensive linemen. And I think from a Darius's skill set, you know, really just kind of letting him off the leash. I, I, I think he has as good a chance of kicks restarting his career there as he does anywhere else. Yeah. So it, and it's Jacksonville, terrific defense one thing they've kind of struggled with is stopping the run and so now you put a 340 pound defensive tackle that can't be moved around those slashers at linebacker and some of these other talented defensive linemen and I mean this I don't want to play the Jaguars man that defense is 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 nuts so um yeah Yeah, and that that doesn't even count Telvin Smith and Miles Jack on the second level yeah that's it's it's sick it's a sick group Jalen Jalen Ramsey on the back end AJ Bouye on the back end I mean just sensational group man yeah so let's uh let's talk about the dolphins deal here on uh on draft day this one hurt me personally um dolphins trade running back jay ajayi to the philadelphia eagles for a 20 2018 fourth round pick uh eagles perspective again much like with darius uh it's a low risk investment they got control of ajayi for a year and a half uh, you're getting a very high return for the capital that you gave up. And it's a low-dollar investment because he's on his rookie contract. He's a day-three player. So you know, bringing him in, they have LeGarrette Blunt under control through the end of this season. So looking forward, you may have to uh, pencil Ajayi in as kind of timeshare this year, but expect him to get full-time looks next year. And then you know they'll negotiate from there as far as how successful he is. Listen, from the Dolphins' perspective, I understand why they decided to do this. You know, this is uh, the second time in two years that Ajayi has butted heads with this coaching staff. 
2016 season opener, they left him at home for a road game to Seattle because they were frustrated with him. And then, um, you know, Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald reports after he got traded today, he was storming out of the locker room after wins because he was frustrated. He didn't touch the football enough. And, uh, he butted heads with pretty much everybody there, but never really voiced it directly to Adam Gase. Uh, Adam Gase was really pointed with his criticisms after the team got embarrassed on national television by the Baltimore Ravens, saying that their best players have to start taking their work home with them. You know, he's getting sick and tired of of guys not knowing what to do and missing assignments. And uh, you know, these actions, and, and from some of the beat reporters that I follow, uh, it, this seemed like a very direct statement at Jay Ajayi. So I understand why the Dolphins did it. But if you look at who they've got in the backfield, if you look at what they got in return, you look at how productive he was when things were in place in 2016, and you just didn't get great value for the player that you move. So I'm all for locker room culture and so on and so forth. But at some point... You have to to optimize the value of your players. And if you told me this time last year, after J.H.I. just dropped 200 rushing yards on uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Buffalo Bills in back-to-back weeks, uh, the, the Dolphins are going to flip this guy for a day three draft selection, I would have told you you didn't get great value in return for it. So... Uh, I understand the thought process, but this this hurts the Dolphins. This hurts the Dolphins a lot. You know, th- this move, it's high risk because you're giving away a player that's in the prime of his career. I know, granted, uh, some people say the knee issue there for Ajayi is a real thing, and I know he, he skips practices throughout the week for rest to keep that knee uh, from getting too sore. Uh, they did not get a low re- They did not get a good return for this pick, and the players that they have there in Kenyon Drake and Damian Williams – they're not going to give you anywhere close to what J.H.I.E. could. And that, that rushing attack needs all the help it can get. And those guys, I, I just don't know how they're going to make it happen. You know, uh, from the Eagles side of things, um, you know, this is an – I mean, obviously the Eagles are oh, it's a home arguably run. the best team in the NFL. And they already had a top five rushing attack with basically a little Garrett Blunt shouldering that load. Corey Clement, now you get a guy with a skill set like J.H.I.E. And, and you can really see that – rushing attack taking off to complement, you know, the situational football that it's playing with, with Carson Wentz. And then the defense has just been tremendous. So uh, really like the addition for them again, only a, a day three pick to part with, to get skill set. It's, it's, uh, you know, obviously this has a lot to do with locker room culture type stuff with, with the Jai, but you know, the Dolphins at four and three are in the thick of everything, yeah. right? It's, yeah. They're tied uh, for the last playoff spot in the AFC. So, so yeah, you look at that and they're one behind uh, New England and Buffalo, in the division. So in the loss column. So there's with plenty of head to head with four head to head matchups against those teams to earn it. Right. Now you're going to trot out. Who's the Dwayne Washington or something. Damian Williams, Damian Williams and Kenyon Drake. Drake. I mean, come on now. I mean, uh, and you've already got bad interior offensive line play. Like, man, uh, yeah, you made an example out of the dude, but maybe you make an example out of him when you have a chance to replace him. You're right. At least Chip Kelly had the courtesy to trade him in the postseason. <laughs> sure. Or, or trade trade LaShawn McCoy. And and that's Joe, yeah. that's something I said to you. It's like, man, this feels like Chip shipping off LaShawn McCoy because he, he couldn't get along with him. Yeah. And uh 
the big time rusher, young running back, head coach, tired of the antics, off you go. I, I would argue Eagles probably got better return for LaShawn than what the Dolphins did for, for Jay, getting Kiko. Yeah, yeah, starting linebacker. I mean, that fourth-round pick, I mean, what what's that going to be? Depth yeah, at cornerback, a backup safety. Some, some third-string wide receiver again. Yeah, it, look, and we're draft guys. And we, we, I mean, I believe I could find a good football player there, but the reality is it's just not that you, common. Right, right? You, and you know what you get. You know, yeah. any time you take a draft pick, you don't know – what you're going to get to the same degree as what you know when you see a guy play at the professional level and he produces at the professional level. Why does it feel like we're more critical of Miami moving on from Jay Ajayi for a four than we do Marcel Darius and Buffalo from a six? I mean, kind of just taking a, a step back and listening to our own conversation here, you know, teams in similar circumstances, both unloading a player that doesn't fit the locker room culture. Why are we harsher on Miami? Because Miami needs Jay. Buffalo didn't need Marcel. Marcel was playing 33% yeah. of the snaps. The, all the Dolphins coaching staff talked about this. This the build-up to this offseason is how they wanted to get J.H.I. 300 carries. Mm. Didn't happen. No. Not even close. Guy's averaging three, 3.4 yards a carry, and I understand some of that comes down to the interior offensive line because it's bad. The interior off, the, the guards in Miami are terrible. They, they, they're on like their fourth-string left guard. They've had some injuries. But even still, you're rolling into a season expecting Anthony Steen and Ted Larson to compete for the left guard spot when the left guard spot's giving you problems for six years. Yeah, it's it's not acceptable, and uh, I I know that's part of the problem. But you saw what Jay could be last year, and the Dolphins' offense, who is dead last in everything, needed their best offensive player which was Jay Ajayi, to turn it on if that if they were going to legitimize their record and compete for the playoffs. While Buffalo, you know, they're rolling 3-4 deep on the defensive line as far as you know, they've got some depth. Uh, Marcel's not a key cog anymore. You know, it, it's just painfully obvious that they, they, they have no use for him. Miami needed Jay, where Buffalo didn't need Marcel. Now, uh, jokingly, I want to say Miami should go get Reggie Bush. But really, honestly, Stop. go sign Jonathan Williams off Denver's practice squad and make him your starting running back. Uh, it, you know what? That's actually – that's not bad. I would I would be interested to pick through practice squads Yeah. and, and kind of say, okay, you know, I think – because look at Baltimore. They took uh, Alex Collins off the scrap heap. You know, he was in Seattle for his rookie season. And, you know, had to move on. Baltimore brings him in when they have Kenneth Dixon suspended and uh, Danny Woodhead gets hurt. And Alex Collins looks like he could step in and be a starting runner. Uh, he, he could, you know, maintain that primary role with how well he's running behind the Baltimore offensive line. So uh, that would be a fun exercise. And, Joe, this kind of gets into the economics that you always like to talk about at the running back position, how, you know, don't invest high there unless you absolutely feel like you have a game-changing guy because you can get 90% of three-quarters of the league just sitting around somewhere or for a very low investment in comparison to what you know a, a middle-round pick or an early second-round pick would, would cost you. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting debate because you know I buy into that, but then you take LaShawn McCoy off the Buffalo Bills and I'm crying in the corner. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. so it's 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 interesting. It's it's easy to say that when 
you know, you don't already have one of those guys. And but you take you have one of those top tier backs and you see what they can do and take them off your team and you're like, oh man, I, I'm good. I'm good with this. But well, I, uh, I think the the best way I saw somebody put it on on social media yesterday was the the teams that do running back by committee are the teams that don't have a top guy. No, yeah, nobody with a top guy wants to do running back up yeah. by committee. It's just yep. a question of investing in it when it makes sense. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How about this uh, this Patriots trade, right? Jimmy Garoppolo to the 49ers for a second-round pick that is likely going to be, what, a, a top 35 pick, let's be honest. So Guaranteed, yeah. <laughs> so you take this uh, this Patriots perspective here, and, and it's an expiring contract. Tom Brady's still playing high-level football, and I don't know when that's going to stop. And, you know, it's an expiring contract in Jimmy Garoppolo, and you're able to flip that for you know, essentially an end of the first round pick. And, uh, you know, look, it's it's one of those things where we don't see a lot of team players leave New England and having, you know, gobs of success with other teams. But from San Francisco's perspective, I think that's a risk of taking. You get a really nice fit here with uh, with Garoppolo and his quick release and uh, his trigger and 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 you put that into Kyle Shanahan's offense and you think, you know, maybe he can find some, some windows and give some guys some chance after the catch to, to make some, some plays happen where a lot of that stuff that they do over there is all, all timing and rhythm based. And, um, you know, now it gives them an opportunity to see what they have over the next, you know, eight games with, with Garoppolo. And then you can control him a little bit from there. If you want to tag him uh, for a season and, and, and think about working out a long-term deal, but uh, you don't overcommit to him because you don't have to yet because you can still control him for the next season and a half. Uh, you know, even if you want to get crazy and do it two years in a row, you have that flexibility. And what that gives them a chance to do is, you know, take a Saquon Barkley at, at in, in the top three or trade back out of that and maybe get a King's ransom worth of draft picks and replenish what you gave up for Jimmy Garoppolo. So I like the flexibility that it gives San Francisco in, in, in several ways. And from New England to flip an expiring contract for a guy that's a backup on your team. It's not really ever probably going to be your starting. You're not going to have them next season. You're not going to pay Brady and Garoppolo to get a top 35 pick is sensational. I think this is a really good trade for both teams. Yeah, this this was the trade at the deadline that I felt both teams helped themselves with the most. You, know, you did a great job kind of outlining why it made sense for San Francisco and how this is so typical Belichickian to just – you know, oh, expired contract, time to go, see you later. Um, and I, I think the mentality of, of Bill when he was asked on uh, Tuesday about the trade was really enlightening. Uh, he said after the after the Super Bowl, you know, they, they had felt it was apparent that they were going to be sticking with Tom in the long term because he's showing you know, no signs of a drop-off. So uh, they were holding on for, quote-unquote, a king's ransom for Jimmy Garoppolo. And when it didn't happen, they decided to just – uh, maximize his value and take the best they could get for him. And when you put it that way, and you get a top 35 pick, and that's settling, that's just stone cold, man. That, and um, it, it's a great example of how the Patriots run their program like a business. And that can be cold sometimes. Um, but I do think for Jimmy... Jimmy going to work with uh, Kyle Shanahan and uh, being the a chance to be the guy and get evaluated and, and caught up to speed on the offense over the course of the next eight games uh, will be good for him. So it's not like they, they shipped him off to, to Cleveland, the poor Browns. Man, they, 
Can we talk about this this trade for a minute, Joe? The trade that almost was? Sure. <laughs> uh, so Browns and, and Bengals agree to a deadline deal at 355 to ship A.J. McCarron to the Browns for reportedly a 2018 second and 2018 third. And that just blows my mind altogether, that that was the price for A.J. McCarron. Um and then the deal doesn't go through, and first it's reported that uh, the, the Bengals put their paperwork in, but the Browns were too busy celebrating, so they didn't get their paperwork in before 4 o'clock. And then somebody comes out and says, well, actually, the Browns put their paperwork in, and the Bengals fired and filed their paperwork, but it was the copy that only had their signature and didn't have the Browns' side signed, so they submitted the wrong paperwork. And... You know, the Browns filed this objection to the league office that says, you know, this was agreed to before 4 o'clock. There should be a grace window for paperwork. And the NFL said no, so the trade doesn't happen. Is there any other franchise that this could happen to except the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's like it's almost like, man, just close the doors. It's not, <laughs> you, you, you just you just can't you're just an embarrassment to this 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 league that doesn't have problems like this, man. Like this just doesn't happen. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, God bless it. I mean, that's horrible. You know what the irony uh, is though? It's a bad trade anyways. I was going to say, if in fact the Bengals were the ones that screwed this up, they screwed oh. themselves. They, oh. they pulled the Browns move and they saved yeah. the Browns from themselves. Oh yeah. Two and a three for McCarran's just laughable. Yeah. that. But if the Bengals had that sitting there and all they had to do was get the paperwork right, huh, man. What a mistake that was. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what message does this send to rookie quarterback Deshaun Kaiser? Sends the right message. He's not their guy. <laughs> Get mean, your ass together. Get your ass together because we're we're not we have no reason to commit to you. Yeah, but listen, Joe, if there is any way that you are just going to mentally destroy a player over the course of 8 games, 8 games. <laughs> You can follow Hugh Jackson's playbook here, and you will ruin almost any quarterback in the league. Yeah, I get that. I get that, and that's me being a little bit of a Kaiser uh, pessimist. Uh, but, um, yeah, I get it. That's not the right message that you send to your young quarterback. Um, but at the same time, it, maybe it's a wake-up call uh, on the flip side of things because it's not going well for Kaiser. He's he's uh, Priorities are not in the right spot. It right, right. So yeah. get it together. Yeah, if you're going to be the guy, if you want a chance to be the guy, like get it together because uh, you're not showing us a whole lot that's making us uh, have the warm fuzzies about you being our starting quarterback in the future. So in summary, the 2017 trade deadline brought us the end of the a marking of the end of the Deshaun Kaiser era and uh, the definitive end of the C.J. Beathard era in San Francisco. <laughs> Yes, what what an era it was. Kyle, yes. do you have any thoughts on this Dwayne Brown, Seattle Seahawks deal? Um, I thought it was interesting that Jeremy Lane failed his physical. Yeah. So uh, that trade went from being Brown for a 2019 second and Jeremy Lane in a 2018 fifth to being Dwayne Brown and a fifth-round pick for – a 2018 third round pick and a 2019 second round pick. I like this move for both sides. Uh, I like it more for Seattle because Seattle's getting, again, an established player. 
Uh, but I like it for Houston based on the return that they got, and I actually like it better for Houston without Jeremy Lane, where they get a third this year and a second next year. Yeah, um, I do too. That, that return for Houston, I think it, it is really fair for a guy that I believe is 31 and just held out. And, you know, ironically, it was probably the fact that, that Dwayne Brown held out and Houston was kind of forced to play with somebody else there at that left tackle spot. And, you know, they, they clearly felt good enough about the guys that they had there that, you know, you want to be unhappy about your contract? Fine, go let somebody else pay you. Yeah, it's like for Seattle, I mean, it's just had to do something to bolster the front five in front of uh, Russell Wilson. So, you know, it makes sense for them to try to get a serviceable player and, and one that's been pretty good in, in the NFL. So uh, hat tip to them. Makes sense for both teams. Uh, Buffalo Bills, so imagine that, two trades at the deadline, uh, bringing in Carolina Panthers wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin for a third and seventh round draft pick. Um, yeah, look, Buffalo needed wide receiver help. Yeah, that Going into this trade, the Bills had the lowest amount of receptions and yards for their entire wide receiver group of anyone in the NFL. Uh, only 475 receiving, or excuse me, 594 yards total for the unit on the season through seven games. And it's just not getting the production out of that that group. And Jordan Matthews has had a thumb injury. Zay Jones has been uh, bad. Uh, Andre Holmes is not a, a top one, two, three type target. Um, and so um, the units have left a lot to be desired. And Buffalo goes out, they've got a lot of draft capital and uh, they used a little bit of it to go get Calvin Benjamin. Now Buffalo gave up a three and a seven, uh, but they still have two ones, two twos, a three, two fours, a five and a six. So there's plenty of exciting draft capital that Buffalo still has. And they get a guy that um, has been productive. You know, we can, you can say what you want about Calvin Benjamin. And sometimes he doesn't, you know, make every catch that everyone expects him to make because he's six, five, two forty. Uh, but go look at the guy he produces when he's when he's been on the field. He missed, you know, the 2016 season or excuse me, the 2015 season. But uh, every, anytime he's healthy, the last two years in his rookie season, he's been a productive football player. And uh, I think he can help this Buffalo offense. Uh, they need guys that can move the chains um, and uh, they need guys that fit into their locker room. Like I talked about with that, that misfits type thing and guys that work and, you know, McDermott and beam, they, they know these, they know Calvin Benjamin and, and he's really highly regarded in terms of his teammate the type of teammate he is and the type of worker he is. So he'll fit in in that regard. Um, but, um, you know, I think the interesting part of this trade is, well, there's two things. Number one is how he fits in Buffalo because Tyrod Taylor is not necessarily a guy that uh, throws to guys that aren't open, right? He's kind of a, a, a pitch, and, pitch and shoot type guy where he, he wants to see guys open and throw it. And Kelvin Benjamin, not really known for his separation skills. So, you know, is Tyrod Taylor going to be a little bit more willing to test uh, those situations where Calvin Benjamin might have leverage and, you know, he has to put it in a spot and trust that Calvin uh, Benjamin will go get that football. Um, the other flip side of this is, are, are the Panthers serious giving up Calvin Benjamin for a three and a seven when they're going to now trot out Devin Funches and Russell Shepard as they're, as they're starting wide receivers? They're, you know, they're five and three, a game out of first place. If the season ended today, they're in the playoffs and they think, a, a move to help their team win and compete is is parting with Calvin Benjamin. I think that's right. I get the confusion. I I can see maybe the, some some skepticism on Buffalo in terms of fit, uh, but at the same time, you know they didn't give up a whole lot and they have a lot still, and they needed obviously need a wide receiver. But Carolina, what you doing here? Yeah, if you would have told me Carolina was going to be active at the trade deadline, I would have guessed they were buying 
like mm-hmm. buying an offensive lineman. Um, yeah. I know right tackle Darrell Williams has been very effective, I think, like the last month. Um, but Matt Khalil at left tackle, um, they've got they've moved Ed Dixon, and Ed, Ed, Ed Dixon deserves a lot of credit because he's been you know, pretty productive for uh, the Panthers. But you know, I just watched that offense, and it's so vanilla. And you can see every target to Christian McCaffrey coming. And Joe, we talked about that last week, talking about the situation that McCaffrey's in, and you know how it's it's kind of watered down. It feels like, in part because they just can't pass protect. You know, they they can't keep Cam Newton up. They don't have guys that can win consistently in the boundary. And now your wide receiver group is Kalen Clay, Russell, Russell Shepard, Devin Funches, and Curtis Samuel with uh, Christian McCaffrey catching the ball out of the backfield. Uh, that's It's the Dolphins move with Ajayi without having the excuse of locker room chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, I did a spot uh... – on on Tuesday in, in uh, ESPN Charlotte local radio, and uh, we talked about the Panthers and some of their struggles offensively, and I think it, a lot of it does stem from the offensive line. They deserve a ton of blame. Uh, there's also this seems-to-be-forgotten thing that Cal, uh, Cam Newton didn't practice until just before the season. So that act, that time during the offseason to acclimate himself to these targets and, and how the, the playbook was going to evolve with them it has been lost. And so yeah, they're force-feeding Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield with basic swing passes with no counter to it or anything that they've done to set that up, but they've also not had the time to build that chemistry. And, um, you know, is is Calvin Benjamin a, a duplicate skill set to Devin Funches? Yeah, maybe, but they drafted Funches when they already had Calvin Benjamin. And if that's something you wanted to address is, is really this time, is week eight under these circumstances where you're right in the thick of a divisional race, the time to get rid of, you know, a player that's got 475 receiving yards through the first eight games. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure I get that for, for Carolina. I mean, is it addition by subtraction? What do you, what do you, what you're subtracting Calvin Benjamin? Like what, what is this suddenly going to do for your offense? Like it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I just, I just don't get it for Carolina. And it's not even like they force him targets. He's, he was third on the team in targets. Uh, <laughs> I think McCaffrey and, and Funches, I believe were the two guys ahead of him. And Dixon was close. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, you know, we, we, we've been consistently just shoving the ball Benjamin's way. You know, if we feel like we move on from him, we, we can really allocate the football and spread it around and, and take more advantage of mismatches instead of trying to key on a single guy. They don't even do that. You know, he had the most yard, most receiving yardage on the third highest target total in the offense. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. 
reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. Kyle, I want you to react to something here from a Buffalo perspective to kind of just get my my opinion out of the way here. Okay. When when you think about Kelvin Benjamin and his fit on this offense, and specifically Tyrod Taylor, the type of quarterback that you is, I know you've seen plenty of him play, <clears throat> that Kelvin Benjamin <clears throat> excuse me, is not necessarily a big-time separator. Do you think that's something that can happen? Do you think that Tyrod Taylor will suddenly have an appetite? to test coverage and utilize his skill set? Or is this going to be a situation where you know, if he doesn't separate, Tyrod Taylor's not going to get in the football and maybe Buffalo didn't get the chain mover they think they were getting? Uh, I think where Kelvin's going to be the biggest impact to this team is in the intermediates. I don't think you know he's going to be a big play guy. I think uh, I think he's averaging like 14 yards a catch. Uh, for the Panthers through the first eight games. Uh, I would expect him to consistently get targeted between 10 and 20 yards down the field. Um, so the timing stuff, the comeback routes, where he can use his size at the top of his route stems and kind of get some separation that way. Uh, but no, if you're going to ask him to run a post route, he's going to have a guy in his, his back pocket. And that's, I think that's going to be an adjustment for Tyrod. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of his receivers aren't getting separation right now anyway. Yeah. So, you know, if anything, this eight-week trial by fire in terms of the, the skill guys that they have, uh, Benjamin similarly does not separate consistently, but he does provide a much greater level of strength and presence at the catch point than what those other guys would. Yeah, and so maybe that's a lot of it too, right? So. Tyrod Taylor doesn't test man coverage because his receivers are Zay Jones and Andre Holmes. <laughs> so I mean, that, that's something to consider. And then also Buffalo does have Calvin Benjamin next season uh, under contract one year, eight and a half million, which I think is a, a, um, a fine contract. Yeah. That's it. That's his cap hit for, for right. a potential quote unquote number one guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's just dandy. I mean, you, you look at what, uh, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are asking for and eight and a half. Sign me up. Yeah, I'm here for it. Well, it'll be interesting. Some major implications with these deals and how it could uh, affect uh, the rest of the season and um, should be interesting, sir. Yeah. What else was interesting was the uh, college football playoff committee put out their first top 25 ranking. And just like everybody expected, the Georgia Bulldogs were the number one ranked team in the country. Um, so, Joe, Joe, I think we agreed we were going to work through just the top ten. Just kind of give, yeah. give some we, quick reactions here. Um, yeah, we, we we certainly did spend a lot of time on that trade deadline yes, stuff. We, so. you know, there's a lot of trades. So, yes, there uh, were. Top ten, and then we'll kind of get into a discussion here real quick, Joe, is, is Georgia Bulldogs at one, Alabama at two, Notre Dame three, Clemson Tigers currently sitting in that last quote-unquote college football playoff slot at four, followed by Oklahoma, five, Ohio State, six, Penn State, seven, TCU, eight, 
Wisconsin, undefeated Wisconsin at 9, and undefeated Miami Hurricanes at 10. Joe, initial reactions? I think it starts at the top with Georgia being the number one team and Alabama being the number two. Not that that matters, right, because they're not going to play each other in in that scenario. But uh, uh, it's something that when our staff submitted their weekly rankings and we you know we put those together to to put the composite rankings out on a weekly basis you know three of our seven staffers had had Georgia at number one so that's something that uh crossed my mind but I didn't think it would actually happen with the committee um from and it's interesting because between me and you we had we were different there and I had Alabama one you had you had uh Georgia at one And, and so right off the bat I want to kind of get into that why why I why you went with Georgia and and maybe why I went with Alabama. And for me, it comes down to, you know, Alabama hasn't played a close game all year. I don't think, uh, you know, they don't have the the quality win over, you know, Notre Dame that Georgia has. Uh, but, uh, you know, they haven't played a close game. They've been dominant. And, uh, you know, I just, I, 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 I could see why somebody would have Georgia, but, you know, just the fact that the closest game Alabama's played has been an eight point win over Texas A&M and nothing else has been even remotely close well, has me going more towards Alabama as number one. And for me, it was really just the the quality of the schedule Georgia has played so far. Uh, the win over Notre Dame, uh, a tough road win against a team that was ended up being slotted number three. Um, a one point win there early in the season. Uh, the fact that you know this this Fromm kid at quarterback, you know they they don't let him push the ball down the field all that often. But man, he's he's really good. And if I'm looking at that offense, okay, you got you know a multi-layered uh, running back committee there, just like you do at Alabama. You've got a bullying offensive line up front, just like you do at Alabama. Uh, the quarterback play for me, quarterback play was a big separating factor looking at the two, and it's pretty incredible with this this kid well, being so young. Uh, Fromm has looked very good. He he's already a better passer than what I see at uh, Alabama. So that extra layer in their offense but between that and the resume that they've built to this point with a quality road win against the top four team. And uh, that, that those were kind of the reasons why I trended towards Georgia right now sitting in the top spot. And, and unfortunately that week one win over Florida state for Alabama is not, yeah, it's not that impressive, right? It's uh, in hindsight, you know, Alabama would be favored by over 20 points if they played this week. You know, so, uh, uh, you know, the, they have big games. LSU coming up this week, a primetime game, both LSU and Alabama coming off a bye last week. So that'll be uh, an interesting game. And then obviously the, the Iron Bowl at the end of the season uh, where they travel to Auburn this year. So, um, you know, have a chance to improve their resume, uh, just like Georgia will, right, where right. Georgia has a chance to play uh, Auburn as well uh, at, at, in the next few weeks. So um, it, it'll sort itself out. But um I, I can understand the Georgia argument for me. I'm just going to continue to roll with the tide. I mean, you can't go wrong siding yeah, yeah. with Notre Dame. Or, I'm sorry, siding, siding with Alabama. I'm phasing myself into the next conversation <laughs> here, Joe, which is Notre Dame sitting at three. Yeah. Um, they've pounded the hell out of two good football teams the last two weeks in USC and, and NC State. And they still got a game against undefeated Miami on deck. Notre Dame wins. There's no way they get bumped right Notre Dame wins out there's zero chance they get bumped out of a spot if Oklahoma wins out Ohio State wins out and Clemson wins out like Notre Dame wins out they get a spot right 
yeah, and they're still going to have to they're still going to have to beat Wake this week. It's just you know they're not Wake's not a great football team, but they're certainly not a bad football team. They got to take care of business to Miami. They play the option team in Navy, which is always tough. And then they they go to Stanford. If they, if they get through that, man, it, uh, obviously they're, they're yeah. you know, that's that's eleven eleven and one. I think. I mm-hmm. mean, with with quality wins. I mean, Michigan State's a quality win. Boston College isn't a bad win. Was uh, USC, NC State already? I mean, so look, uh, you know, Notre Dame was was not a team I think anybody thought would be here. Uh, but with with what they've done and their only loss coming to one point loss to eight, no Georgia. I mean, uh, yeah, they've earned it and, and they deserve to be the number three team. That's where I had them in my poll as well. Yep. And same here. So Joe, uh, I got one more question for the, you. And then if you have any parting thoughts, yeah. uh, four through seven, really complicated matter trying to sort through this group <laughs> because you got Clemson, yeah. Oklahoma, Ohio state and Penn state yeah. all at seven and one. Oklahoma beat Ohio State. Ohio State beat Penn State. Clemson has the worst loss out of the entire group. For you personally, I know what I know where you had these teams slotted. Yeah. But talk to me a little bit about how you felt the committee landed here, and if you were surprised the direction that they chose to, to sort these teams out with. It's hard for me because I had Clemson number four, and and I think the overarching thought is man they have the worst loss of any team in that group uh basically the rest just beat each other um i still like the resume that uh clemson's put together they've got quality wins over boston college over virginia tech uh they they've beat louisville and auburn already as well and when i think about this team and and i get it kelly bryant was injured and Syracuse was leading that football game. But I think his him not being there, particularly in that second half, was a death wish to, to, to them against Syracuse. And that's unfortunate. But when I think about this team being healthy in that front seven and some of the guys they have in their skill positions and a solid offensive line, I, 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 when I think about those teams playing against Clemson in a neutral side, I think Clemson wouldn't win the football game. And so that's what made me go with with Clemson uh, out of that group. Sure. And um, I think you could probably ask 10 different people. I think they said on the the, the re- rankings revealing show that the conversation for three through nine was very hotly contested. So that would be Notre Dame, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Penn State, TCU, and Wisconsin. Um, it warms my heart to see Wisconsin at nine, by the way. Eight no Big Ten Wisconsin. Eight no Big Ten Wisconsin with the the toughest win probably being against Nebraska. I mean, they, but they uh, they on a serious note they will have it every chance to prove themselves because they play Michigan, and they're on schedule to play Ohio State in the uh, the Big Ten championship game. So they went out. Well, gee whiz, you got thirteen and zero Wisconsin beat yeah, Ohio right. State, who's who's ranked six. I mean, how yeah. do you say no to that? Well, and, and Iowa, right? They still got to beat Iowa too. Which, mm. oh, I get it, I get it, right? But National still got to do powerhouse it. Iowa. Yeah, um, still got to do it. Yeah. So for me, my fourth team was Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma's loss being an increasingly impressive loss to Iowa State, who was in the top fifteen, I believe. Of this, um, they were the second best two-loss team, and. Iowa State in 
three weeks has beaten Oklahoma and TCU, which is incredible. They pitched defensively. They pitched a shutout against TCU. TCU's only points were off a a kick return to start the second half. Uh, So hat tip to Iowa and Matt Campbell, first of all, because the job that they are doing there this year is tremendous. But if I look at Oklahoma and I'm looking through – where they've come from, the teams that they've beat, the way that they embarrassed Ohio State in Columbus, that for me was a big, big push up for Oklahoma. It's the strongest quality win out of any of these teams that we're talking about right now. Uh, Ohio State obviously beating Penn State makes sense to put them in front of Penn State. Oklahoma beating Ohio State makes sense to put them in front of them. Uh, Clemson, you know, Joe, you kind of detailed how how the Syracuse loss, while you can understand in context, Kelly Bryant's out, it's still a bad loss in relation to the losses of Oklahoma to 6-2 and two Iowa State, who also beat TCU, who's in the top 10. Um, Ohio State, who lost to Oklahoma, and Penn State, who lost to Ohio State. So that 4 through 10 slots are going to be really... I think you'll see a lot of changes there throughout every week that these rankings come out. Um, I'm most interested, if you ask me one thing that I want to see down the stretch, if Georgia-Alabama play each other undefeated in the SEC championship game, do both teams still get into the college football playoff? That is that is my number one. That is a huge domino. If they both enter at 12-0, and Will the committee punish one of those teams for losing to the other? And I guess it probably will depend on the context of the game, if it's a blowout or not. But SEC getting two slots right now, that that has my interest peaked out of you know the landscape at this point in time. Yeah, I think I think as much as it matters how that game unfolds, it matters what happens to the rest of these teams. You know, I mean, if if some of these teams that are in contentions pick up a second loss. You know, and, and all of a sudden Georgia or Alabama at one loss is in a in a narrow pool of one loss teams, and their only loss came against each other. I mean, man, that's that's going to be right in the in the, in the same conversation we're in right now. So, um, you know, it it has a, it has its way of, of of playing itself out, and, and it will again this year. Um, the, the thing about Oklahoma, just to kind of get back to them for just a second before we wrap, the thing that bothers me about Oklahoma and they've got that Ohio state 31 to 16 win on the road as impressive as anything that any team's done this season. But you know, a five, a five, was it an eight point win over Baylor who lost to Liberty uh, a, five, a five point win over Texas, a seven point win over Kansas state. You know, they're going to have to go out and prove something to me against Oklahoma state and TCU these next two weeks to, to make me forget about those narrow wins over teams that they, they really ought to handle. But if they win them both, does it matter? No, it doesn't. So Absolutely they not. they could win each game by one point, and it would all of a sudden not matter what Kansas State and Baylor no, are for you. It doesn't. So yeah, I need to see it. But if they lose one, then I'm going to be like, oh yeah, it's even going to be worse. It's in my mind. Those well, sure. Those and I don't. I don't think you'll see. I mean, unless the entire field collapses, I don't think you'll see a two loss team in the playoff. No, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. So I mean, but o- they're going to be a one loss team that doesn't get in. That's a bigger question, right, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I agree. Or is there going to be what? What about Wisconsin and Miami? I mean, so those those two guys are hanging out back there, and and we talked a little bit about you know the uh, um, 
Wisconsin path, but Miami as well. I mean, if if Miami goes out and beats Virginia Tech this week, Notre Dame the following week, and then handle their business against Virginia and Pitt, and then they play for the ACC championship against Clemson or North Carolina State. I mean, you know, geez, <laughs> they're they're right in the in the mix too. So, well, if they to run, me, if they run the table, then they beat Notre Dame yeah. and Clemson. They open up two two playoff spots. Each of those teams would have two losses. It's interesting because I think nine and ten control their destiny. Just More as than much some as, of the te- yeah, yeah, right. Some of the teams that are right there in that like, three through seven, like Penn State, is probably in the least enviable position. Oh yeah, right? for because, sure, because they have a, a conference loss where Ohio State, who is ahead of them, does not. Uh, Michigan does not look like they're going to. Prov- I mean, it's a rivalry game, so I'm sure they'll play up to Ohio State a little bit. But Penn State could win out and win by. 30 points in every game. And if they don't get into the Big Ten Championship, it won't matter because Ohio State would be playing uh, an undefeated, a likely undefeated Wisconsin team. And a win there, they just they wouldn't stand a chance no matter who wins because you've either got undefeated Wisconsin or one loss Ohio State who beat Penn State. Kyle, can you believe there's people in the world that don't like college football? I mean, uh, good it's Lord. Madness. It's madness. <laughs> Is this not the funnest thing in the world, man? <laughs> I, I can't believe there's people in this world who like candy corn and don't like college football. That's a good way to leave it, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to do it for us today on the show. We'd like to thank you guys for carving out about an hour of your time listening to Joe and I here on the Draft Dudes kind of shoot the breeze a little bit as we like to do every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you enjoyed uh, listening to today's show, make sure you hit that subscribe button iTunes, whatever else you may listen through. Leave us that five-star subscription if you enjoyed uh, the college football banter and, and Joe's relentless mocking of my candy bag and uh, both of us being Grinches. You know, at the end of the day, we're both cut from the same cloth. And that's why we do such a fun, fun podcast that you guys should totally tune into on Friday when we give you a preview of week 10 of the college football season. A lot of big games, a lot to check out, a lot of relevant prospect matchups. So we will kind of get back into draft-specific focus on Friday's show. Make sure you do not miss it. I am Kyle Crabb signing off for Joe Marino, and this is the Draft Dudes Podcast. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.